Good morning again. Welcome, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. I love that clip. Just a friendly reminder for you guys that may have forgotten, it's actually tomorrow is Valentine's Day. We are celebrating at both campuses today with a picture station. We want to encourage you to get pictures made today. Uh, have a lot of fun with that. Uh, welcome, Smyrna Campus. Love you guys. Glad you're with us there. Everybody connecting with us online, we're glad that you've found us there. We are continuing a series called Breaking Bad Habits. And in this series, each week we look at a different habit that is something we struggle with. Uh, maybe if it's not a personal struggle for you, you have family or friends, other people that you're around that struggle with those. But today we're dealing with another one that I believe is pretty common to all of us because we have become, more than I can ever remember, a critical complaining culture and society. You, we just hear complaining all the time. It reminded me of this guy uh, who was tired of the rat race. He decided he wanted to go jo join a monastery. So he went and visited this monastery in the area, talked to him about joining. They said, well, this, this monastery, the monks take a vow of silence. Uh, at this one, you can only say two words at the end of every year that you're here. He said, okay, I think I could do that. I want to try it. I just want to get away. I think I want to focus and, and just be away from everything. So he joins. At the end of the first year, the, the head of the monastery brings him in and says, okay, you have two words. What do you want to say? He said, food, cold. He said, all right, that's it. Goes back for a whole other year. At the end of that year, after not saying anything, he brings him back in. What are your two words? He said, robe, dirty. Sent him back out for another year, and he, he's not saying anything for that whole year. He brings them back in. At the end of that year, he says, well, what are you going to say? Two words this year. He said, bed hard. So at the end of the next year, he brings them back in and says, well, what do you want to say with your two words this year? He said, I quit. <laughs> the head of the monastery said, I'm not surprised at all. All you've done since you got here is complain. <laughs> <laughs> We all have this tendency toward complaining, don't we? Uh, and, and we don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. Sometimes we're just using it as a conversation starter, right? Uh, boy, it sure is cold out there today. Uh, I don't like this cold weather. We, we have this tendency to think that's how we connect with people now is through our complaining. And we have mutual complaints that we can share with each other. And a twin sister to complaining is criticizing. They go directly together. You can't separate those two. The complaints usually involve criticisms of people or, or circumstances, or organizations. And, and, and so those two are tied together very closely. Well, today I want us to focus on what God's word has to say about complaining because the critical complaining spirit is not the spirit of Christ. It's not representative of God and God's spirit in us. And all through scripture, we have these warning, warnings against being complainers, being critical all the time and complaining all the time. Uh, one of those is found in Philippians 2. If you want to open up your Bibles there, Philippians 2, beginning with verse 5. He's talking about how we as Christ followers need to have the same mindset or way of thinking as Jesus so he gives us some background about Jesus and how he thinks and how he approaches life. And then he leads into how that should affect us and how we live our lives. Here's what he says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
So we began this series, right, with, with uh, breaking bad habits, with understanding that it has to start with a transformation of the mind. We've got to start thinking differently. Well, how should we think? We should have the same way of thinking as Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. Have the same mindset, the same way of thinking that Jesus had. He says this about Jesus and his mindset, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, that's a long introduction to get to what he's about to say about how we need to be living our lives and the mindset we need to have in living our lives. But he, he wants us to tie this directly to the example of Jesus Christ. So we want to make that connection, right? This is not just, in theory, a great idea about how you might want to try living. He's saying, you need to imitate Christ in this. And here's what Christ did. This was his mindset. So, he says, after giving that example in verse 12, therefore, you remember therefore last week, right? When you see therefore in Scripture, see what it's there for. It's therefore referring you back to what he just said about Jesus and the example of Jesus and his mindset. Therefore, since we have that example from Jesus, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. You know, it's easier to behave when you're in front of somebody that wants you to behave, right? right. Uh, but he said, I'm not with you right now, but I, you still need to be obedient even when I'm not with you, okay? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That verse can be misunderstood, misinterpreted. He's not saying you work for your salvation. He's saying bring the purpose of your salvation to its completion. He saved you for a reason, for a purpose, for, for it should make a difference in how you're living now because of your salvation, okay? So he's saying show the, show the results of this, about how you live. So he says, uh, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God's still working on us, right? Even after we get saved, especially after we get saved, we should be listening and learning and growing so that we could show, demonstrate that we have that relationship with Jesus now through our salvation in Christ. And then he says, verse 14 do everything, what things? Everything. Did you get, catch it online? Everybody join us there. Do what things? Everything without what? Grumbling or arguing. Some translations say complaining. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He says, here's the result. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Wow. 
God's got a plan and a purpose. He saved you, yes. He wanted to save you. That was his plan all along. He, he had the mindset that he was willing to do that for you without arguing, without grumbling, without complaining about it. He went to the cross so that he could provide your salvation for you, but it was for a, also for a purpose, not just for you and your salvation, but it was so that as a result of that, you could develop the same mindset as Jesus because he wants you and me, the church today, to shine like stars in the culture that we live in, the communities that we live in, the homes that we live in, the businesses that we work in, the schools that we attend, he wants us to shine like stars. How do you do that? By having the same mindset as Christ. And what was that? You do everything without what? Grumbling, arguing, complaining. Wow. What a challenge. Remember he said God's continuing to work on you. He's, he's, he's acknowledging the fact that we aren't there yet. Right? He's acknowledging the fact that this is a work in progress. It's easy to do better one day, but then get around certain people or circumstances happen and you can just revert right back to what? Grumbling and complaining again. You get right back to it again. That doesn't excuse it. He's just acknowledging that that's what happens and that it's a work in progress and that you have to keep working on it. You have to keep being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to allow God to keep working and molding and changing you into that, that, that person who shines like a star in the world he's put us in. Now, here's the thing about stars. They show up best when it's what? Dark. And it's easy for us to complain about how dark it's getting. But friends, as it gets darker, what's he wanting us to do? Shine like stars in the middle of that. You don't shine like stars by grumbling and complaining. That takes away from the shine, from that distinction, from that ability to stand out that God wants us to have. So today I want us to look at the problem of, of complaining and know that it's not anything new. It's been around forever. Way back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 16, uh, verses 2 and 3. Uh, this is an amazing verse because you have to know the context of it. Uh, God's people have been in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. And the whole time, what were they doing with God? Come grumbling and complaining, right? Why did God let us be slaves? Why doesn't he get us out of this situation? Why can't we overthrow Egypt? Why, can't, why should we be slaves to this foreign uh, uh, government that doesn't even believe in our God. Why? You know, they're all the complaints over and over for years. They grumbled and complained to God. God and his wisdom was waiting till the timing was what it needed to be. And it was prepared the way it needed to be. Decided to call Moses to lead them out of that slavery, out of that bondage. He had to work on Moses for years in the wilderness. He got him ready. He sent him there to, to go before Pharaoh. Moses grumbled and complained that he wasn't a good speaker. So he gave him Aaron to go with him and help him with his talking, with his speaking to Pharaoh. And, and so he just takes away all the excuses and all the things we have to grumble and complain about. And, and he sends Moses there and he miraculously does these 10 plagues. You remember the 10 plagues? Just awful things. 
And Pharaoh at first would say, oh, I want to get him out of here. I don't want to go through this anymore. And then he'd change his mind over and over again for nine plagues. But the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn did it. And, 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 and Pharaoh said, send them away. Not only send them away, but I'm going to give them plenty of supplies to leave with. I want to get them out of here. I want to make sure they get gone. He was grieving the loss of his own son. And he wanted those people out of there. But right after they start their journey out, Pharaoh again changes his mind. God takes them on this path out of Egypt and it took them right to the Red Sea. And so Pharaoh's army has taken off after them now. The Red Sea is on the other side. They're there in the camp along the coast of the Red Sea there. And what do they start doing again? Grumbling and complaining to God. Brought us out here to die, God. Can't believe you did this. What does God do? He parts the sea. They cross over on dry land. Uh, they, he closes the sea back up over the uh, Egyptian army and, and drowns them. And they can't pursue them anymore. And they're safely on the other side. Now, this, this verse in Exodus 16 takes place only a month and a half after they've been freed from Egypt. All right. They've been slaves for hundreds of years. And in just a month and a half, even after all of that, here's what they say. It says happens. Verse two and three. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Right. Remember, God brought Moses. He brought Aaron alongside Moses to lead them to the promised land. Uh, but now, just a month and a half in, they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Here's, here's what they went on to say. Okay. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. You see how quickly they've changed their tune? In Egypt, what were they saying? Get us out of here. This is awful. Now they're saying, I wish we just died in Egypt. We'd be better off there. And they, they say, there we sat around. Here's how your, your mind plays tricks on you. How Satan plays tricks on your mind. Here's what they said about their life in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Like God could do all those miracles that he's already done, but he can't take care of their food needs now. And because they don't have all the food they want right there in front of them right now. God is awful. He's terrible. He's miserable. They're miserable. They're better off as slaves back in Egypt because back in Egypt, we had all the good food and meat and pots of meat. We, we just ate like kings back in Egypt. No, they didn't. It's like us talking about the good old days. Right? We, we gloss it over. We make it sound better than it was. I talked to my grandparents a lot of times when I was growing up. I would spend time with my grandparents and they would tell me about their good old days. And I've got to tell you, I, I didn't think it sounded so good. I had to walk to school uphill both ways, right? Three feet of snow, barefooted. And we lived in Georgia. <laughs> but it was awful. But we sit around today and talk about the good old days like they were so great. 
I don't know about you, but to me, one of the greatest inventions in the world is indoor plumbing. I don't want to go back. When I was a very tiny young man, I had one grandparent that lived at a farmhouse that still had an outhouse. And I can tell you, that seemed like fun the first time, but in the middle of the winter when I spent the night with my grandma, that wasn't fun anymore. Right? The good old days, we gloss it over like it was so good. But the truth is, we complain and complain about things today. People before us have all had struggles as bad or worse than anything we're going through today. We can't just gloss over the fact that it was hard. It always has been. We live under the curse of sin in this world. We'll always have trouble in this world. There'll always be problems in this world. Well, no matter what period of time you're living in, what generation you're living in, what culture you're living in, there are struggles in all of them, everywhere. There always have been. Still, he says, do everything without what? Grumbling and complaining, arguing. Even then. In Numbers 11.1, 1, if you want to know how God felt about their grumbling and complaining, here's what it says. Now the people complain about their hardships and the hearing of the Lord. Now where do you have to go to be in the hearing of the Lord? Anywhere. Right? You can complain in your closet with the door shut and you're in the hearing of the Lord. Okay? It just means the Lord heard their complaints. That's all he's talking about there. He, he would always hear it. The people complain about their hardships and the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them... How does God respond to our grumbling and complaining? His anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp where they were camped out. That's how God feels about our grumbling and complaining. After all that he's done for us. After all that he's sacrificed. After all the provision he's given. After all the, the way he's shown us his love and his care. After, after he's done everything he has to do and needed to do to provide eternity for us with him. After all of that, grumbling and complaining is not okay with God. Having a critical negative spirit is not okay with our God. Not for his people. We need to be different. We need to shine like stars among the culture around us, set apart, different than the rest of the people. I know people around us are grumbling and complaining. Does that make it okay for us to do it before our God? No, it does not. So we need to take this seriously. God's not okay with it. And we can just say, oh, that's just the way I am, or I don't mean anything by it. I'm sure those people tried to write it off that way too, but God was consumed with anger over it. So let's stop making our excuses and let's start being transformed. So I want us to look at four steps we could take today from Scripture to help us get this under control and, and start changing, being transformed by God, by his word, by his teachings so that we can shine like stars in the generation that we live in now. OK, here's the first step. Practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. Now, that's not a term I came up with. It's been around for years. Uh, Henry Blackaby used it back in a study that he wrote many years ago, but it was used before that too. Practicing the presence of God is something that early Christians caught on to this idea uh, that when 
when we get this idea in our head that we're going into the presence of God in a church building that we don't understand the presence of God very well. Because the presence of God is not just in the church building, is it? Where's the presence of God? The Bible says he fills the whole earth. If I go to the highest heaven, who's there? Right, he is. If I go to the depths of the earth, who's there? God is. I mean, it says that clearly in Scripture. But we experience it too, don't we? No matter where we are, God's presence is there. So we have to start living like we're walking and speaking and acting in God's presence all the time. Would it make a difference what you said and how you acted if you knew God was right there? Absolutely. I love what Paul said in Romans 8, 38 and 39. I'm convinced that neither death nor life or angels or demons or the present or the future, any powers, height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Are you ever outside of the presence of God's love? No. Never. So no matter where you're at, where you at, or how dark it is, or how hard it is right at the moment, is God's love right there for you even then? Yes. So when you understand that, it can do a lot about curbing our complaining and our grumbling and our criticizing, can it? When you know you're in the presence of God, and you're in the presence of the love of God all the time, then you can not be as quick to complain and criticize what's going on. Hebrews 13 and verse 5, the author says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said what? Never will I leave you. Never will I what? Forsake you. Wow. When you're about to speak those words of criticism and complaint, has God left you yet? Is he going to leave you? Has God ever forsaken you? Will he forsake you now? So what are you complaining about? Why are you grumbling and complaining? He's not saying it'll be easy. He's not saying everything's going to be great. In fact, he's saying just the opposite. He's saying in those moments, you need to remember, God has promised to never leave you or forsake you. That's the hope you have that the world doesn't have. And that's why we should shine like stars in the middle of that world. Because we have that promise and they don't know it yet. They don't know his presence. They don't know his love. They don't know his provision. But you do. I do. So we should be the people not complaining. I can understand them complaining when they don't know those things. But we know those things. Why are we still complaining and criticizing? So the first step is to practice the presence of God. The second step Instead of complaining, remember, if you get rid of one thing, you got to replace it with something else. Instead of complaining, start practicing expressing gratitude instead of complaints. Practice expressing gratitude. In Psalm 9:1, the psalmist said this, I will give thanks to the Lord, to you, Lord, with all my heart. But he adds something. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. <laughs> I love the combination of those two things. I'm going to give thanks to God. That's, that's a good place to start. When you are ready to complain, instead, think of something to thank God for. But when you think of something to thank God for, it also then gives you something to do what? To tell other people about. 
God. You can, instead of complaining about your life, you can start bragging on God to your friends and your neighbors and your family members and your coworkers and your fellow students. Instead of them hearing you complaining in the break room at work, they can hear you bragging on the God that you love and serve and that you say loves you and takes care of you. Wow. You talk about going from a dim light to a bright star. That's what makes the difference. He's wanting us to be people who express gratitude. In 1 Thessalonians 5, you may remember this verse, verses 16 to 18, it says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In which circumstances? All circumstances. Wow. The hard ones too, right? The ones you never wished on yourself or your family, right? The ones you, you even prayed would not happen. You're still supposed to be doing what in those circumstances? Giving thanks. Offering praise. And all those circumstances. Rejoicing. He's not saying rejoice that the circumstances are there. He's saying you can rejoice in all circumstances. He's not saying, oh, I'm so grateful that my, my spouse is sick. That, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm so thankful that you won't leave me or forsake me even in this illness. You'll still take care of me. See the difference there? Instead of complaining, we can express gratitude. And we can do it in a way that tells of the wonderful deeds of our God. So many times we keep making this excuse in the American church that, that I'll just be a witness by my example. But over and over again in Scripture, he says, I want you to actually speak the words, not just set the example. I want you to talk about it. When? The scripture was clear when he was talking to the nation of Israel, right, before going into the land of promise. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the road, when are you supposed to be talking about the, the teachings of God and the greatness of God and the love of God? When? All the time. It should just be part of who we are, what we talk about. Instead of complaining, we should be bragging. I had a uh, preaching professor I've talked about before. I love this man. He died some years ago, but his name was Olin Hay. And, and when I was at, uh, in Bible college in Atlanta, he was my preaching professor. And, and Olin used to say, uh, he would call us uh, way back then. I was a young preacher boy, right? So he would call the young, young preacher boys is what he would call us. He said, now you young preacher boys, if you ever get up there preaching and you get lost and you get mixed up and you don't, want, don't know what to say, just start bragging on Jesus. You'll never go wrong if you just start bragging on Jesus. Well, brothers and sisters, every time you start thinking about complaining, just start bragging on Jesus. You'll never go wrong if you just start bragging on Jesus. So practice the presence of God. Practice expressing gratitude. The third one is this. Practice extending grace to others. Practice extending grace. A lot of what we complain about is other people not doing what we want them to do, acting like we want them to act, doing for us what we want them to do for us, right? We complain and grumble about it. I got to tell you, we're, we're in a different world situation right now than we've been in in my lifetime. 
you go do you go to a business today, it's easy to grumble and complain about not getting the service you want to get. But let me tell you something about almost every business out there right now. We, we're business owners, Suanne and I have been, and, and many of you are business owners, and you know what I'm talking about. This is one of the hardest times for businesses that they've ever experienced right now. For a lot of reasons. There's a whole combination of things, right? I mean, right now here at Lakeshore this morning, we had to call in some people to, to serve in some different positions because we've got two staff, three staff members sick, three volunteers who are normally here helping out with children that are sick. Uh, we've, got, we've got that going on, and we're still trying to fill those slots and keep those ministries going, right? But think about that multiplied many times over with businesses trying to run and operate their businesses right now. They can't get workers. They've all got help-wanted signs out, and they can't get people to come work. And you go to a restaurant and say, we can't seat you right now. And you see empty tables and you just complain and grumble. You got space. Why don't you see a seat us somewhere? Because they got nobody to wait on you if they sat you there. That's why. What about extending some compassion? Some grace. To those people that are just trying. Under terrible circumstances. To keep things going right now. Then you got the supply chain issues. And you're complaining, uh, this much for a cup of coffee? But you don't understand, everything that they, they have to get and purchase to serve you that cup of coffee has gone up 30% in price in the past year. Everything, every part of it has gone up at least 30% in price. The cup itself, the coffee that they're getting from their suppliers, everything has gone up. But we want to grumble and complain, don't we? Instead of show grace and compassion and mercy to those people. The scriptures are clear about how we need to respond to others. Paul said this in Philippians 4. I love this, verse 12 and 13. Uh, listen to him describing his life. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. You see, when you're content, you're not grumbling and complaining. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, that last part of that verse has been so pulled out of context and misused that people pull this verse out all the time and say, I can do anything through Christ. And that's not what that verse says. Never has said that. Read it in the context. You know what it's saying? I can learn to be content in any circumstance through Christ. That's what that verse is saying. He gives me the ability because of my relationship with him, because of his provision for me, because of his presence, because of his power, because of his provision, I can be content no matter what is going on around me or is not going on around me. Even if I don't have anybody serving me as quickly as I want them to at the restaurant, I can still be what? Content. Even if my order didn't get here on the day it was supposed to, I can still be what? Content. Through what? Through whom? Through Christ. Through my relationship with Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Christ gives us the ability to do everything God wants us to do. I believe that. That's scriptural. That is something that God's Word teaches. But this verse is talking about the ability to be content under all circumstances. He gives 
Jesus is the one who gives us the ability to do that. That's what this verse is talking about. So we need to be transformed in our thinking and start practicing the extending grace to others. Ephesians 4.32, remember, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ God forgave you. You want Christ to be compassionate to you? You want Christ to extend grace to you? Then what are you supposed to be doing for others? Extending grace to them, showing them some compassion. Sue Ann and I have worded it this way a lot. We, we work hard. We're not always perfect at this, but we try to remind ourselves to treat everyone we come into contact with with the dignity and respect that someone created in the image of God should have. Right? You'll not ever meet anyone in this world or have interaction with anyone in this world that was not created originally in the image of God himself. We can treat them with dignity and respect. Even if we disagree with them completely or their lifestyle completely, we can still treat them how? With dignity and respect. Christ followers need to shine like stars in how we treat people. We need to learn to extend grace to them. So, practice the presence of God. Practice expressing gratitude. Practice extending grace. And I put practice on every one of them because we are what? A work in progress. God's still working on us. We got to keep practicing. If you do practice, though, what happens when you practice regularly? You get better. So you can look at your life and say, well, have I been practicing like I need to consistently? Am I getting better at this or worse at this? Right. We need to be measuring that. Because God's anger is stirred when we are not having the mindset of Christ the way we need to. And we're not treating people the way we should treat people. And we're being complainers and criticizers instead of the encouragers that he's called us to be. Which leads to the last thing. I think this is one of the best things you can do. Remember, you get rid of one thing, you replace it with another. We start you know, extending grace. We start practicing, though, something else. The spreading of the gospel. We start practicing more the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can use your words to complain or you can use your words to spread the gospel. Which one do you think God's going to be more pleased with? <laughs> spreading of the gospel, right? He's always going to be more pleased with the spreading of... Now, what do I mean by the spreading of the gospel? Well, let's, I want to go back to the beginning of the story of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Uh, when, when Mary and Joseph have gone to Bethlehem, they've given birth to the baby there. It says in verse 8, there were shepherds. You know this part of the Christmas story, right? There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you what? Of what? Great joy. For who? All people. <laughs> Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Messiah, the Lord. Friends, we have been given the best news in the history of the world for all time. It's good news. We think of, of, of the teachings of the Bible, and sometimes we think of it as rules and regulations and restrictions. But the gospel, the very word gospel means good news. We possess the best news ever, and we're not talking about it very much. Instead, what are we doing? 
grumbling and complaining, criticizing. Shouldn't we be telling this good news? Shouldn't we be talking about this when it's the best news ever? The words coming out of our mouth, shouldn't they be words that are bragging on God and the good news of what he's done for us? Shouldn't that be what people are hearing from us more than anything else? That's how you shine like stars in the universe. That's how you stand out in a way that's showing the results of your salvation. I mean, you have, if you're here today as a Christ follower, you've received the benefits of that good news already, right? You know your salvation in Christ. You have experienced it. Don't other people deserve to know about that good news? That doesn't mean they're all going to just say, yay, that's great, thanks for sharing. That's not what it means. You're going to get some negative responses to the good news. You're going to get, uh, some people aren't going to think it is good news. Some people are going to think you lost your mind if you're talking about that. Oh, man. But I guarantee you this, they'd rather be around you talking about that than all your complaining and grumbling all the time. And certainly God would be more pleased with that. Skip on down in that chapter 2 of Luke, verse 17, after they Shepherds went and saw the baby Jesus. It says this. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. When they saw and experienced and heard about and, and knew that the news was good news indeed, what did they do with it? They spread it. They started telling everybody they could tell the good news about Jesus. I don't know these shepherds personally. I don't know anything about their lives before this, but I'll bet you they tended to sit around there on the hillsides complaining a lot before that night. If they're like most of us. Remember, we talked about this the other week. The problem is most of us are like the rest of us. We tend to be complainers. Shepherds' jobs were not easy. They had a lot to complain about. They, they were not high-end jobs at all. They were the very low-end jobs. They had a lot to complain about. But these shepherds, at least for a little while, just wanted to tell everybody about the good news. If we could catch this, if we could just get rid of the complaining and the criticizing that people are doing. And parents and grandparents, listen to me. I just really want to put this word of warning in as your pastor. Because I see this over and over again. You're trying to raise your kids to know Jesus and love and follow Jesus. But your kids are oftentimes hearing you after church services and after programs at the church, back going in the car and back at your house, criticizing and complaining the church, its programs, its pastors, its teachers. How do you think they're ever going to grow up with a love and respect for the church if that's what they're hearing from you? Why should it surprise you when they grow up to think they don't need the church when you've done nothing but complain and criticize the church that you're going to? I'm not talking about just Lakeshore. I'm talking about any church. But yeah, I'm talking about Lakeshore too. Is there stuff you could criticize and complain about here? Absolutely. That little preacher is so short, man. I just, yeah. Sometimes he goes over time and... Yeah. He doesn't always say what you want him to say or do what you want him to do. 
I'm not a youth program. They don't always do what I want for my kids. You know, you could pick it apart. Any, but here's the thing. You could do that anywhere at any church. They all look good from the outside until you get in there. Have to start working with the people. People mess up everything, don't they? Because most of us are like the rest of us. We're imperfect. We're sinners. But even then, you can brag on Jesus. You can brag on what he's done for you. And the church is the bride of Jesus. It's the body of Jesus. You need to be bragging on the church. You need to be just bragging on the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. If you want your kids to grow up to love and appreciate and be committed to the church, they need to hear that from you. And they need to see that from you. That's my second sermon today. No extra charge. <laughs> so here's the deal. We need to practice the presence of God. We won't complain so much. Express gratitude instead of complaining. Start extending more grace to people instead of tearing them down. And practice spreading the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Christ we have so much to be grateful for, so much to brag about, not ourselves at all, but you, Father, and all that you've done, how great you are, how amazing you are, all the works that you've done throughout all of history, and even in our lives personally, Father, you deserve our praise and our gratitude. Father, we pray for forgiveness where we've been grumblers and complainers and criticizers. Father, please cleanse us of that, and in their place, help us to put the love and the care and the excitement that we should have in bragging on you and on your son Jesus and how great and wonderful you are and your works are in this world. May we be people who shine like stars in the universe you've placed us. We pray for that, Father. If there's someone here today who, who needs to to take that step of coming to know and follow Jesus, we pray they would take that step today, that they would come to know the joy of what it means to have salvation in Christ so that they could go share that good news with those around them that you put around them for that purpose. Father, help us to do a better job of leading other people, your son Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.